microphone. Okay. Can you guys hear me? Yes. Okay, good. Yeah, so we were, uh, we've been going through the Gospel of John, and we've been going through different uh, ways to encounter Jesus. Today, I want to speak on uh, continuing the sermon series. I want to speak on John chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. And um, today, we are going to discover how to encounter Jesus uh, in desperation, in, God, in God-given uh, desperation, how to, to see what Nicodemus saw and heard and um, as he was asking this question, as he was approaching uh, the rabbi, he was approaching, approaching Christ, uh, what was his response and, and how did it trigger desperation inside of uh, Nicodemus and how we can apply it today to our lives. Uh, this passage is very well known by all of us, by many believers, because it specifically, specifically, specifically talks about uh, being born again, right? We we, we quote this scripture, we know this scripture. It's, it's when Nicodemus is faced with this uh, statement from Jesus about being born again. And um, as I was thinking about that word, I was uh, just, just you know, thinking about what does that mean for us? What do the word born again says? And what, is, what, is it, what, is it, what does it bring? What feelings does it bring? And born again, it's, it's a word that brings joy to us Christians, to us believers, Right? It's a word that has this special value and special meaning in our hearts. It brings joy. It brings good feelings to the surface when you hear, oh, this brother was, he's born again. Or this celebrity or this uh, NFL player, he's born again. There's something that happens in our hearts, in our minds. We're like, oh, that's nice. It's something, something good that happens, right? Something, something sweet. It's like a cryptic word for us Christians. It's something encoded that we don't know exactly why. I mean, we know why, but we don't know. It just brings good feelings, right, uh, for us. But as time has gone by and ages and years gone by, this word does not provide the same response. In the day that we're living right now, uh, this word actually brings about doubt. It brings about being skeptical, and it doesn't really bring the same word, the same feelings that we had when we, we used to hear about uh, someone being born again. I have an example here. It was, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure many of you guys know this person. Um, his name is Larry Flint. He was the, the owner of this pornographic magazine that went completely big, huge billions. Back in 1980, he said that he had become born again and to many that was a surprise to many that was great news to many that were following Christ at that moment believers in that age 1980 they felt encouraged they felt happy this brother that was in the pit of darkness has been rescued by the Lord it has become born again but only a year later um, he said he continued to publish his magazines with a with now the motive of hustling for God. That's what he was doing, hustling for God. And a year later, he, um, he just uh, declared himself an atheist. So there was something, it was quick. There was many of them. We've, we know stories of people, friends, family, celebrities that ha- have uh, confessed they're born again, but uh, fizzle out immediately. Um, so this word has been uh, stolen. It has been robbed. It has been assaulted. 
and emptied out of all of its meaning. Um, today, when people say they are born again, we have really no idea what that means. We really don't know what is being born again. Uh, we today need to rescue this term. We need to rescue this word and this definition. And the medicine for this definition or the defining this, this actual word today will be found in John chapter 3 verses 1 through 8. So let's turn to John chapter 3. We're going to read it verses 1 through 8. All right, let's read it. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these things that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. Let us pray this morning. So Father, we thank you for your word we thank you for the honor you give us to gather today in this Lord's day, in your day. And Father, I ask you for grace to open our eyes, to open our hearts, our understanding for your word, for the gospel being spoken today, God. I pray you convict us of sin, that you bring us to repentance, that you bring us closer to the cross this morning, Lord. We're asking you, God. Father, I pray for Omar this morning as he is preaching as well. In CWB, Lord, I ask you for grace upon his lips to deliver the message that you have put in his heart for your people there, Lord. I ask you for much grace today as a whole in, in, in our churches, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so before we go into our text today, I want to draw our attention to uh, a few verses in Scripture. We're going to just read briefly Jeremiah 13, 23. It says, can the Ethiopian change his skin or the leopard his spots? Then also you can do good who are accustomed to do evil. I want to ask us a few questions today, even before we get in, in the full definition of being born again. Can a man in love with his money enter into the kingdom of God? Can a man in love with his riches and his wealth enter into the kingdom of God? For that question, we have the response in Matthew 19, 24 that says, It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Another question, can a man welcome the things of the Spirit of God? Can a natural man, unborn of the Spirit, receive the things of the Spirit of God? To that, the answer is 1 Corinthians 2.14. They are foolishness to him, and he is not able to comprehend them. 
because they are spiritually assessed? So the answer is no. Can the human mind, our mind, naturally as it's created and growing only by natural process and not by, by reliance on the Holy Spirit and reliance on God, can our simple minds please God? And it says, Romans 8, 7 through 8, the mindset of the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Clear answers. And for today, can a man enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born when he is already of old age? Can that happen? That was the question. That was the statement that Jesus gave to Nicodemus. Do we feel the shock of what Jesus is requiring of Nicodemus? Do we feel the impossibility, the human impossibility of what Jesus is requiring of Nicodemus to be born again a second time? He said, you must be born again. You must. The urgency on Jesus' statement, you must be born again. Do we feel the tension that Jesus is causing Nicodemus to have? Do we feel the discomfort that Nicodemus is faced with when he receives the statement from the one he's following at night? God is demanding what is humanly impossible. He is demanding something that cannot be done with with our own human knowledge, with our, who we are. It's impossible for a man to, be, to cause himself to be born again. It's humanly impossible. We cannot change the color of our skin. Because there's treatments, chemical stuff, but and we cannot just, I want to be white. I want to be yellow. We can't do that. We can't. It's impossible, humanly impossible. A leopard cannot change his spots. He's born a leopard, he will die a leopard. He can't change his spots. In a camel, it's impossible through, to go through the needle of, 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 to the eye of a needle. It's impossible. It's humanly impossible. A natural man cannot welcome the things of the spirit. And the mindset of a fallen man can't please God. It says it is hostile. It says the mindset of the flesh is hostile to God. Hostile. And all men can't be born again. To all these things, when we hear and we're like, yes, it's humanly impossible. It can't happen. We can't do this. But we immediately, as Bible-believing Christians, we say very quickly and boldly, God can do it. God can do all these things. God can, if he wants to change the color of our, of our skin, he could, he could change the spots on a leopard. He can make a camel fit through the, needle of a, of, through the eye of a needle if he wants to. Right? God can turn natural people into spiritual people who love things of the spirit. God can do it. And God can cause people to be born again by the Holy Spirit. Yes, he can do that. We know that. We see it. We are testimonies of it here. But as I was reading this and I was studying and asking the Lord for depth, felt that sometimes we say these things too quickly. Sometimes we say, yes, God can do it. God can do all things. God can do all of these things. But maybe 
We say it sometimes without thinking about it, without meditating what the Lord is requiring us and what the, the miracle of salvation is and the miracle of being a, a born-again creature. Maybe we should sit shocked like Nicodemus for a moment and meditate on the great impossibility that God is requiring of us. Maybe we, we should sit for seven days like Job sat with torn clothes and dust upon his head, mourning, lamenting his condition, along with his friends. Shocked and utterly in despair that no one will enter the kingdom of God unless we are born twice, not once, but twice by a power that is not of our own, by a power that we can't produce with our great abilities and with our great charisma. It's a power that is like the wind that blows whenever it wants to blow, submits to its own will. We, are, we, are, we should be shocked and we should be desperate that we are like people that are stranded in the ocean. I mean, just imagine the vast ocean and we are in a makeshift raft with the sail made out of a rag. And we are at the mercy and the will of the, of the wind that blows. And when that wind doesn't blow, it's a difficult situation. I think we need to stop, meditate on, on these verses, and let ourselves feel the difficult situation that Jesus and said Nicodemus was in. He confronted him with, with, with this. Isn't it strange that before Nicodemus um, can ever ask a question that night when he visited Jesus, before he could even say anything, explain anything, Jesus declares the necessity and the urgency of being born again. He declares it to Nicodemus immediately. There wasn't small talk. There wasn't, hey, how you doing, Jesus? How, how was your journey? Let me get you some bread. Let me get. There wasn't, there wasn't any of that. There was an urgency in Jesus. Jesus doesn't even allow Nicodemus to explain the reason why he came over. Um, and we see this why. We see why Jesus immediately confronts Nicodemus with something that cuts him to the heart and its context. So turn with me to John chapter 2. Verse 23, just uh, a chapter before, and we actually it was last week's uh, sermon, part of last week's sermon. So we're going to see how, why, why Jesus responds to Nicodemus in such way. John 2.23 says, Jesus was at the Passover in Jerusalem, and many believed in his name when they saw the signs which he did. Right? Then notice in uh, chapters 3, 2, right? Chapters 3, verse 2. Nicodemus says when he comes to Jesus, he says, Rabbi, teacher, we know that you're a teacher come from God. For no one can do these things that you do unless God is with him. So in other words, Nicodemus is among the people that heard and saw Jesus in chapters 2, verse 23. He was there. And he was impressed enough with Jesus' sign-working capabilities and miracles to come to him. Then we see John chapter 2, verse 24 and 25. It sets the stage for the response that Jesus gave to Nicodemus that was less than exciting. It was less than exciting. He tells Nicodemus, 
But Jesus, or he, he, he responds, but Jesus did not entrust, entrust himself to them because he knew all men and needed no one to bear witness of men. For he himself knew what was in man. So what does it mean? What, is, what does Jesus know about these believers, the so-called believers? What did Jesus see in them that caused them to hold back and not give himself fully like he did to, to his other followers, to his disciples, apostles, people that he would heal all around, people he would preach the gospel? What was different about this group of people? What did Jesus know about these Nicodemus types who only believe in Jesus as a sign worker, as a wonder worker? He knew one very simple thing, but it's deep. He knew that they were not born again. He, he knew it. He felt it. He saw it. The reason Jesus doesn't wait for Nicodemus to explain is because he already knows what he needs. He already knows what he needs to tell him. And it says he knew what was in man. So today, what we'll unpack are two points. We will unpack what is Jesus' view of man's condition? What is Jesus' view of what is in man? What is inside man? The, 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 the ones that are not born again. And what is the remedy for this condition? So we'll talk about this today um, a little bit in depth. So as, as we go through these two points, verse 6 of chapter 3 is really the main statement about the, com the condition of man, the human condition. And it says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. So in other words, the way I put it is, our first birth, our natural birth, it makes us alive to human life. Everything that flesh, everything, we're alive to human life. And our second birth makes us alive to spiritual life. You know, we have babies, so we know. They're born, they, they, they crave, they desire certain things. Our first birth unites our hearts affectionately to our earthly fathers or mothers or parents or father figures. That's what we do. We love our parents. It, it brings an affection, a natural affection. And our second birth unites us affectionately to our heavenly father. Our first birth gives us an appetite for food, a good reputation in life, passions of the flesh, and anything that satisfies those passions and those cravings. Our second birth gives us a craving and an appetite for God and godly things. And last, our first birth generates a natural tendency and impulse to save our lives. Survival of the fittest, the strongest survives, self-preservation, I need to be okay, I need to survive, I need to take care of myself. It generates a natural impulse for me, me. Our second birth imparts a supernatural impulse to lose our lives for the sake of Christ. Let's consider uh, a few moments the view of Jesus for these people, the unborn, right? I'm the ones that I haven't born again. These people are called the unregenerate. Unregenerate is people that have not been born of the spirit, but only by their parents. So everyone, right? Um, <laughs> the first one is that they are flesh. What does that mean? What does 
They are flesh mean, and this is what, how we're going to dissect this section. First, they are flesh. Verse 6, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. This means that people by nature are just that, humans, people, right? And they're completely devoid of the Holy Spirit. They're detached from the Holy Spirit. Jude 19 says, it is these who set up divisions, natural people devoid of the Spirit, people that are attached, detached from the Spirit. John 3, 6, it speaks about flesh. It refers to human nature out of touch with God. Human nature completely unsynced with God. Romans 7, 8, I know that no good thing dwells within me, that is, in my flesh. The flesh is human nature cut off from the spirit of God. It's just flesh. It's just dead men walking. When human nature, with all of the desires and longings and needs and cravings, is cut off from the all-satisfying God, the result is no good thing. There's nothing that is good aside from God. It, it is utter corruption, depravity, total, total de destruction and corruption. Galatians 5, 19 through 21. If, you, if it's not there, you guys could uh, check it. I don't know what's up there. So Galatians 5, 19 through 21 says, Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Description of what is the, the fruit of the flesh, right? So we see that Jesus has a very low view of human nature apart from the new birth. He has a very distant and low view of unborn people, people that have not been revived by the Spirit. He speaks, now we got to pay attention here, he speaks here in general. He's not just addressing this group of Pharisees. He's not addressing the people right now gathered at that moment or a specific people group. But he, it's a general, it's a blanket statement. He sees all, not just about some bad group. He says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. All people everywhere are cut off from God. In them is no good thing. All, if, you're, if you were born out of your mother's womb, raise your hand. There you go, all of us. If not... I don't know. We got to talk after. Um, Psalm 53, 1 through 3. God looks down from heaven on the children of men to see, to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They have all fallen away. Together they have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one, none good. All have been cut away from God. Apart from being born again by the Holy Spirit, human nature, no matter where you find it, no matter where you look for it, apart from it, it's totally depraved and it's totally lost. Humans may have great capacity and great talent and great gifts, right? 
to create beautiful works of art, to create great uh, I don't know, musical talent and uh, great exploits and going to space. I think China just launched a rocket to Mars and the technology and the beauty of the brain, the intellect, right? Humanitarian efforts, people feeding the homeless, people uh, going above and beyond to do good things, right? But these accomplishments are of no moral value before God's sight. It's of zero moral value. Anything that is produced without the reliance of God is an idol, even if it seems godly. Anything that is created and produced on my own without my trust in Jesus, without my trust in God, is an idol that we make. And it means zero to the Lord. Romans 14, 23 says, Wherever man does not humbly rely on God for power, the product of his brain is an idol. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. So it is God's sovereign grace, or as theologians may call it, common grace, that keeps us from killing each other completely day to day. If you think there's violence outside, if you think there's riots and there's wars and it looks pretty bad, that's actually not as bad as it should be, as, as it should be, as so many fallen people and so many people without the Lord. It's common grace that keeps us hemmed in. It is by this common grace that we can live somewhat of a normal uh, life. And if you don't know what common grace is, it's very simple. Common grace refers to the common grace. It's, it's the unsaving grace of God. It's a blanket that the Lord releases on the world out of mercy, even to the unrighteous, even to the ones that have not been born again. It's the sustaining grace of God that is common to all humankind. It is common because it benefits all people, whether born again or not. It's common grace, and it's grace because it's, it's not deserving. We don't deserve any type of grace, right? Matthew 5.45 says, So that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Common grace. Unsaving grace, but common grace. It keeps it long-suffering. So the first thing that we can say uh, about the, the human condition of, 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 of us humans from the eyes of Jesus is that we, we are people that are simply flesh, devoid of the Holy Spirit, and totally depraved. Bad news. The second thing, the second thing is th these people that are not born, again, they are dead. The second thing he says is that men are all dead. Our first birth gives us life to our flesh, right? We breathe we desire, we want, we enjoy, YOLO, right? But when Jesus adds that which is born of the spirit is spirit, he means that we are all spiritually dead if we don't have the birth of the spirit inside of us. A birth brings about life. Prior to our new birth, we are spiritually lifeless. We're spiritually dead. But the Bible teaches us that things were not always like this. And we know that, right? Uh, when God created man, he created more than just flesh. But he created 
more than just walking dead bodies all around. He says, Genesis, Genesis 2, 7. I'm going kind of fast because I don't want to take 10 hours here. Uh, Genesis 2, 7 says, The Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living thing. It was the whole package that was delivered in the Garden of Eden. It says that, then God put man into the garden with every good thing for his enjoyment. And then warned them. He warned them. He, he says, the, the rebellion, your self-reliant rebellion will bring you death. And in the day that you eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you will die. Today, man continues to eat from this tree. The tree of self-reliance, the tree of self-sufficiency. In the tree of rebellion. Before the fall, man enjoyed the indwelling presence of God's spirit. Always giving him spiritual life and unity with God. But after man's rebellion, the spirit was withdrew from man. Was detached from man and left. And left man in a dead state of, of living. If you call it that. Cut off from God. With a heart of stone and rebellion towards God. Ever since that day, the Lord has been on, on a mission of redemption for humanity, trying to restoring humanity. And in Jesus and, and in John 3, Jesus is teaching us that God is, God is gathering a new humanity, right? He's, he's bringing about a new humanity, people back from spiritual death. And the last thing that was this was very hard. I mean, now, third thing is, is that Jesus, what Jesus says, the condition of man, he says um, that they are merely flesh, devoid of the spirit, and since they are dead, and, and their hearts are, are stoned, and they're rebellious against him, therefore they will not inherit the kingdom of God. They will not enter the kingdom of God, and we know this, right? This means that they will not inherit eternal life, and that the wrath of God rests upon them. Ephesians 2, 3 says, Among whom we, also want, we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. These, these must have been terrifying words for Nicodemus to hear and understand. Now let's, let's go back to that text and put ourselves in Nicodemus' shoes. This man is not just anyone. He was a Pharisee. He was a leader of Israel. He was studied. He knew his Torah really well. He knew the old prophets. He was a devout Pharisee. And he was, uh, he was an elder, as, as you may say, in, in, that, in that time. He wasn't just anyone. And he saw Jesus. He saw Jesus uh, doing signs and wonders and miracles during the Passover. He also saw Jesus with great mercy helping the needy. And, and something clicked in Nicodemus' heart and says, I have to visit this man. I have to seek him. Even if it's by night, whether there was less people at night or he just didn't want to be seen, we don't know that. But he knew there was something there that he needed to go and talk to this man. He needed to see this man. And then he says, teacher, I am persuaded that you are from God. And before Nicodemus can say anything else, Jesus says with a very sober 
compassion boldly. He says, Nicodemus, people who are not born again will go to hell. Nicodemus was struck to the heart. His eyes were opened. And we're going to go through that. We're going to go through his response. But his eyes were open in shock and awe of this response of being born again and not being able to enter the kingdom of God. He was confronted with this truth. And the final thing that, uh, that is in man's condition, in, in the view of Jesus, is religion, right? There's a huge difference between religion, living a life of religion, and living a new life in the spirit, in the life-giving spirit. There's a huge difference. We can see Jesus shaking his head later on in this chapter, in verse 10. We can see him just shaking his head and saying, are you a teacher in Israel? And yet, you do not understand this? You are a teacher in Israel. You've known the scriptures. You've read the scriptures. You've understood. You're expecting and waiting for the Messiah. You are, you've been studied. It's not just anyone. And you've been teaching people. And you have this title upon you, and yet you do not understand. It is possible, church, us guys here, it is possible to be an usher. It is possible to be a deacon in a church. It is possible to be an elder. It is possible to be a worship minister. It is possible to be a Sunday school teacher and a seminary professor. It is possible to attend church for 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years. It is possible to do all these things and not be born again. Religious man with titles believed in Jesus as a sign worker. Religious man with titles that have been serving for years with their titles, with their religion, putting religion as a front, not born again. Nicodemus was not born again. And he was a teacher of Israel. Jesus would not give himself to them because he knew that beneath the religious veil there was no new birth. There was just dead man walking. There was no spiritual life. There were only flesh and all of their religion was a work of their flesh and their own capabilities. So what do we do? Now what? We heard all this, right? I've heard all this. I'm preaching to myself too. What do we do with all this? What do we say with all of this bad news? What do we expect to accomplish by understanding and hearing these truths? If I'm just flesh, if I'm just devoid of God's spirit, if there's no moral good, if I'm dead in sin and my heart is rebellious and a stone towards God, if I am shut out of, of the kingdom of God and my heart is so deceptive that I put religion as a front for my life and cover my deadness, my spiritual deadness, what do we expect to do? If I'm so depraved and utterly lost that I cannot do anything good, what does God expect of us to do today for the person and the people who asks this question today? 
If you're asking this question, if you're cut to the heart by anything the Lord is saying today, there is great hope. There is good news. Because the response that the Lord expects and warrants is desperation. God-fueled desperation. I think this is why Jesus said to Nicodemus, you must be born again by the Spirit. And then he immediately says in verse 8, the Spirit, the wind blows where it wants, blows where it wills. You hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes or whether it goes. You don't know. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. The wind is free. We can't control the wind. It's impossible. You cannot control the wind. We can hear it, but we don't know where it goes. And we don't know where it's coming. You don't know where it's, where it's going to travel. We cannot control the wind. The wind obeys its own, own laws, governed by the sovereignty of God. When it blows, the people that are stranded in that raft that I mentioned earlier, they get happy. But when it doesn't blow, those people get desperate. I am sure that this verse is meant to show us that we are completely at the mercy of the free and sovereign spirit of God. There's nothing of our own that can do this. He blows wherever he wills. So what can we expect, expect when we read and we understand and we meditate Nicodemus' position and putting ourselves in that position? What can we expect? It's a sense of complete helplessness. We are helpless people and desperate people. I don't think it's an accident that at the, uh, verse 9 of this chapter, right? The response that we hear from Nicodemus is, how can this be? He is shocked, stunned at what he just heard. He's like, how can this be? How am I, have I been living this life? I've been living so many years, dead. I've been dead. I have not been alive. And the Lord is calling out desperation. He's bringing him to this point where he acknowledges the need of a Savior. He acknowledges that it's not by works, it's not by merit, it's not by our own doing, but it's through the grace of God. It's the sovereignty of the Lord. The new birth is not our own doing. It is the free, supernatural work of the Holy Spirit, raising us up from the dead, making us new creatures with a heart that trusts and loves Jesus is not of our own. We do not initiate our own birth, our own new birth. We don't do that any more than Lazarus initiated his own resurrection. The resurrection of Lazarus to new life was owing only and completely to one thing, the word of Jesus Christ that said, come forth, Lazarus. Come out, Lazarus. There was only owing to the word and the command and the demand of Christ to Lazarus. So it is with us for our, our, when we are born again. It's not owing to us. We have no control or power over it. It's not because we 
do certain things, but it's owing to the great mercy of God and his great grace towards us. The word and the spirit stimulate our dead hearts and bring forth life. Resurrect us from the pit. When the gospel is preached in, on Sundays or wherever it's preached, the creator's and says, he speaks louder in our hearts. And he says, let there be life. Let there be life. He infuses life into our hearts. And therefore, we, our eyes are opened. Our hearts are enlightened and are open. And then a child is born. And then desperate cries for food arise from that child. So it is with our spiritual life, our desperation. You guys have a baby or, you know, Eddie and Maria and all these little babies. You know when a child is desperate for milk. You know it. Cries, unending cries of desperate feed me. I need this food. And when I cry, I figure that you're going to give me my food. You know. So therefore, it is with us to get to this place of desperation. That we need the spirit. We need the Lord. We need his food. So I want to conclude with... Three different ways we can apply this for today. So the first thing is we should examine our hearts. Our hearts and our lives, like Johnny said earlier, we're busy. We, we let life just tangle us up and we get busy and we just go through the motions of our life. But we need to stop. We need to meditate we need to listen, examine our hearts and our lives. Religion is a common cover for not being born again. We put religion as a front and as a veil. So the outer things appear well, but inside we're rotting and we're dead. So we need to meditate. We need to examine our hearts. See if we're really, truly born of the Spirit. The New Testament and the Bible gives us many options for testing. I want to just give you two here. Romans 8, 7 through 9. says, the mind of the flesh does not submit to God's law. But you are not in the flesh. You are in the spirit. If the spirit dwells in you. This is the test for us. Do we have a submissive spirit to God's commands? To what he says? Do we submit to the things that he says in the word? Do we submit to his counsel? Or are we quick to be rebellious? Or are we quick to disagree and, and brush it off? 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, The natural man does not welcome the things of the spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. This is a test that we can have. Do the things of the spirit attract us? Do we desire the things of the spirit, right? Do we wake up and do we go through a week and like, oh, I'm craving the word. I'm craving just being with God, you know, or if a week goes by or whatever and you're like, you don't read the word or whatever it is, you feel out of place. You feel different. Are we hungry for his truth? Are we hungry for his fellowship and power in our life? Are we hungry for those things or do they seem silly? not important they're not a, they're very unattractive compared to other things in our lives 
Another thing that we could do is, and we should do, is we should humble ourselves. I know we hear that a lot, but because we need to a lot. <laughs> I think after testing and after seeking the Lord about these evidences in our lives, uh, of the Spirit's presence in our hearts and in our lives, the second application for us is to make words and of deep humbling of ourselves. How amazing and how broken our meetings will be in the future, full of joy when we realize these truths that we've spoken about today. That we realize how desperate and helpless we are removed from the life-giving work of, the, of God. How, what a difference it would make, right? In our fellowship, if we approached every gathering with this thought, when we say to each other, when we think, when we wake up, when we gather as a church, when we gather at people's homes, when we could say, if it wasn't for God's mercy, if it wasn't for God's spirit, I would be a dead man. If it wasn't, but really, think about it. Regardless of your past, your human past, whether you were a gang member or were you were in church all your life, if it wasn't for God's mercy, if it wasn't for his spirit, I would be a dead man. I would be in that raft, lost at sea with no hope of rescue. If it wasn't humility of our state, humility that is not because I read the Bible every day, so therefore the Lord has me higher than, no, it's his grace alone. And the last, and the last thing that we uh, that we 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 could we should apply to our lives, and what we get from this is uh, we should be desperate for the Spirit, desperate for the Spirit, an agonizing desperation that is only uh, revealed by God and is only originated by God, just as Nicodemus was confronted with his life confronted with the lifestyle that he was leading and it brought him to a place of shocked repentance recognition of who he was i want to end with an analogy here and i want us to picture this really well we are all in a room similar to this except that it has no windows it's a windows windowless room no windows you can't see outside you can't see anything all there is is one door one exit one door that's it and the doorknobs or the handles on the doors are really high impossible for anyone here to reach even if you piggyback me we can't we cannot escape this room the handles are too far up and the only rescue that we can get if it's somebody opens the door from the outside the Lord and oh yeah and the room is catching on fire so not only that we can't see we're getting claustrophobic but there's a fire come there's a fire has started and it's sweeping and we're starting to get huddled and there's no way out there's no way out unless somebody rescues us the Lord is calling us out from the room and he's saying he's saying come out and we hear him we hear him say come out and he's outside saying Guys, come out, come out. The, the room is burning. But then our response should be not of like, uh, well, 
you're God. Just, you know, you're supposed to come and rescue me. Our response should be, I can't, Lord. I can't. I can't open the door. I can't reach the handle. I can't do it on my own. I can't push the door. The door only opens from your side. I can't reach. It's locked. I can't do it. I can't. I, it's impossible. It's humanly impossible for me to do so. I am going to burn here. I'm going to burn alive. Our response should cause desperation inside of us. To understand that we cannot save ourselves. That there is nothing that we can muster up in our own strength and abilities. There's nothing we can do. He is the only one. We need him to rescue us. We need him to open those doors and grab us from the burning fire. Nicodemus wanted to know something only Jesus could reveal upon him. He wanted to know something. He sought out Jesus by night. He seek. He sought him out. He sought him out. Whether his life was a mess, where he, you know, he was a religious man, there was something that clicked in his heart. He, he went to, he reached Jesus at night. He was confronted. Every revelation comes from Jesus. Every revelation comes from the Lord, from him. Every encounter with Jesus leads to a revelation but we must be desperate to receive it another story would have been Nicodemus would have gone heard that and left but he stood there being convicted and confronted and listened and his response was of desperation how can this be show me another um, how can this be the story doesn't go on we must be desperate to receive, but we also must be desperate to seek and inquire of him. Nicodemus was desperate to know this truth. Are we desperate to know the truth of our lives, to the truth of God? Are we desperate and are we going to sit there and be confronted with our sin and confronted with things that we do wrong? I just want to pray as we end. But I want us to reflect, you know. Maybe you find yourself in a position like Nicodemus. Maybe you don't. But either way, we need desperation in our hearts. We need God-given desperation. Maybe you think that you could earn yourself into this new birth. You could earn your salvation. But today the Lord is saying, stop, stop trying. You're tiring yourself out. The new birth is not of your own doing. It's sovereignly through Christ. So let's just reflect a moment. Let's have a moment just of silence, reflection, just for, for a minute. And I'll pray, just response prayer.
Father, we thank you for your kindness that draws us to repentance. We thank you for your word that makes us alive to you again. We pray for us today, for my brothers and my sisters. As we hear in this message, Father, would you reveal the things that are not aligned with you? Would you reveal our pride, our self-sufficiency? Maybe some of us here have, have carried this extra weight of thinking we could earn ourselves into your kingdom, but it's your own doing, God. You do it. You, your sovereignty is your supernatural work. It's not us. It's your Holy Spirit raising us up from the dead. You make us new. Father, we want to be desperate for you. Desperate, Lord. Desperate. Like those people burning in that room. Those people stranded in the ocean. Those people are us, God. We rely on you for everything. The Lord and the master of our lives. Give us desperation, just as Nicodemus had it. He was confronted with religion. Yeah. I was, I was uh, last night praying, and um, and there was this song that I heard I was, while I was like studying. I put songs in the background, and this this two uh, sentences really stuck out and really. Uh, for this message, you know, and, and I'll just read them. It says, And I will sing of how you brought me out of darkness into glory. And I will sing of how you brought me out of darkness all the way home. So, Father, thank you that today we have good news, Lord. That is not of our own doing, but it's your will. And you've brought us out of darkness into your glory and today we sing, God, because we belong to a family and we belong to a home, an everlasting home. I ask you, Father, thank you for this day. In Jesus' name.